and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Vogelman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 497. What the episode spookiest number is- of numbers. <laughs> what episode number is it for our MCU series? That would be Are curious. We for that? <laughs> it's funny because besides every time I'm writing up an episode and, and I apologize for my voice. Yes, I'm sick. And I, I recorded the Halloween ends episode last night with Ryan. So I think there's residual effects of that. Um, every time I write up an episode, I look at it and it's like, a, maybe there should be another category added. Like I'm thinking, yes, I'm writing this up. Maybe we should add a dark crisis category. Maybe we should add an MCU category. But yes, our, our main theme, besides it being Halloween, Ooh. our main Ooh. is uh, we're going to do Marvel stuff, at least at the top of the top of the docket. So we're going to start with uh, our thoughts on the now concluded She-Hulk. Uh, where do we want to start with it? Let's get, let's hear your thoughts on it, Chad. Because you're the to me, you're the biggest wild card in, of the three of us, and what you're going to think about this, especially after that all all too daring final episode. <laughs> I think also because I haven't joined you guys for an MCU Disney Plus recap. So true. Um, yeah, I caught up with Moon Knight. I still haven't seen Miss Marvel. But yeah, I saw She-Hulk. Uh, it uh, oh, I still haven't seen um, the Hawkeye one either. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I've never read She-Hulk, but I'm going to trust the uh, not even just the OG fans. I'm going to trust the creators themselves online when then they say that the tone of the show or whatever uh, and and the things that were done with the character of She-Hulk uh, is as accurate as you would want it to be to the actual character. I've never read it, but if the creators themselves said it, then go for it. That said, it took a little bit for me to catch my stride, I guess, in my consistent enjoyment of the show. Cause well, first I think once I let go of trying to trying, uh, trying to define the show, uh, and let go of that concept. I think it just went a lot better for me. It just accepted the show for whatever popped on the screen. I think it it did a remarkable job for a uh, for a show that uh, is you know any show is has to be scripted and filmed and produced and readied for release or whatever well before the intended audience even receives it, right? So it did a remarkable job. The writers did a remarkable job of predicting the future and having uh, Jennifer just 
straight up address the troll fans online almost verbatim <laughs> yeah, the, the show really did a good job of predicting the future in that sense but beyond uh, its its messages and stuff like that i found some of the jokes to be a little uh, eh and on the nose from what i understand that's the intent they're not all supposed to be comedic geniuses but whatever I thought the action was was there. I, the the problem I felt was, um, and and maybe I, I I'm still taking my thinking too far in trying to define what it is, but I I did miss the the sort of fact that there was not a a cut and dried villain at least in the traditional sense. I know that's probably asking too much in terms of what the aims of the show or what they wanted it to be or whatever it was, but. Part of me does miss the just standard MCU like fair of there being a villain. I understand that something greater was attempted to be said there, um, but I can't deny that part of me felt let down by there not being some sort of action finale. I do agree with the final. And again, spoilers, guys, for people at home. Spoilers, duh. Did I want it to be the, the craptastic uh, final showdown that uh, quote unquote Kevin had originally produced. Uh, no, I, d- I definitely didn't, would, wouldn't have wanted that, but I don't know what I would have wanted either. So it's hard to try and uh, criticize it by what it wasn't. Um, uh, I, a lot of people had problems with the CGI. There are a couple of moments that looked a little off to me, but not near as much as what people were complaining about. I just thought it, 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 it evoked a tone that I had not yet seen fully embraced in the MCU yet. You know, WandaVision sort of leaned into TV tropes as a part of its narrative. There has obviously been some comedic aspects to the MCU. And yes, the MCU now has Deadpool. But technically, this is our first outing with this sort of aim in mind, this sort of tone, this sort of fourth wall break sort of meta acknowledgement of it all within the MCU. And it didn't feel wholly separate from everything I've seen before. I enjoyed it. Well, Chad, speaking to what you were saying about trying to nail down just what the show is, that's kind of why I liked it so much. Like I've said before, She-Hulk is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Like I haven't read everything, but I've read a lot. I've read some of everything. And what, what She-Hulk is, both as a show and a comic book, is really a slice-of-life workplace comedy that happens to have superheroes in it. You know, ever since John Byrne took over in the in the, uh, the 1980s, it was a goofy and metatextual book. And ever since Dan Slott took over in the early 2000s, it leaned into the superhuman law with, you know, all these D-list Marvel characters and the occasional A-lister thrown in there. And, like... There's, I I was kind of with you. It took me a little while to get into the show. I think mostly because I was so nervous about them getting it right, you know, quote unquote right, whatever that even means. Because those trailers looked really bad, both visually and just the way they were cut. Like it didn't, it didn't have the vibe that I'm looking for and that that this character should have. But I mean, I it, I had this experience where I liked it more as it went on, and then. To refresh myself for this podcast, I sat down and rewatched the entire season in one evening. And it went by so quickly, and I had such an enjoyable 
time with it the second time through. Like, I am very happy with this show. And a lot of that comes from just how much they got about the essence of the character and her comics. Chad, Dan, you're ignorant sluts. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. I I liked the show for what it was. I thought it was, I think for the most part, it's a microcosm of, of phase four. It's entertaining, but what does it really mean? And it seems to only exist to set other things up. It just seems like, I don't know. They, they give you a relatively non, non-even plot throughout, what, eight of the, the first eight episodes to lead to the ninth. So if you care at all about the actual plot of the show, about what, like who's trying to steal Jen's blood and what they're going to do with it, and this, that, just like waiting forever for Daredevil to show up, which was the best episode probably of the entire show, episode eight, that then you get to the end where they they try to be like the smartest people in the room and they give you that ending where basically the entire plot of the show, if you had been paying attention and caring, eh, it really doesn't matter. Because they because they kind of throw out the ending that they're going to give, but yet they pick they cherry pick some of the stuff that was leading up to the big that final fight when basically Jen calls timeout and 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 leaves the TV world and goes into our world that they still cherry pick some of the stuff and they leave it in like that was our confirmation that Emil was turning into the abomination by choice. We kind of suspected all along he was, but our confirmation wasn't until. Right before, you know, the big fight breaks out at the end. But yet he's asked, but he has to go to jail and he has to confess that he's been breaking the rules of his parole pretty much. And and we still have the big bad reveal that still counts. But yet, you know, luckily, which was stupid of him injecting himself and becoming a Hulk. Was it was that Josh? Was that Josh? Todd. 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 You're right. Uh, I I knew I knew it was a Josh like name. Uh, Todd. Yes. Apologies uh, to Josh is listening. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was too because it wasn't just it, it wasn't just Bruce's blood that did it to Jen. It's because they have the same genes that she was able to absorb the gamma radiation. He does just because he has her blood doesn't mean he has the magical, you know, mix mix mixins to make uh, make himself into a Hulk. <laughs> Even though her blood supposedly is works a little differently, which is the half-assed reason why he was able to, Bruce was able to cure himself instead of doing the slow cure, which we find out that's why his arm was still in the sling and why he wasn't uh, smart Hulk anymore was because he was suppressing it on purpose because for some stupid reason he could heal himself when he wasn't the Hulk, but he couldn't heal himself when he was, which makes absolutely no sense plot-wise. I don't know. I think the, the last, I mean, again, see the thing with the last episode, I kind of, it reminded me of Love and Thunder in the sense that, some of the complaints about Love and Thunder wasn't even it wasn't so much that whether whether the jokes were funny or not. It's just the fact that it was just like nonstop and took away from the plot. And whether you thought the stuff with Kevin, you know, was funny or not, at the end of the day, it's still kind of just it still t- kind of like takes away from whatever the show was on the surface trying to be and what and what people had invested their time up to that moment in, in, in following. Um, it also didn't help, I think, in my opinion, that I don't know how likable Jen really is on her own. She does a lot of stupid things and she has, a, and I don't know, she just, there's some things that she does that are just, that just don't make her overly, overly likable. And then you surround her 
but other characters that are much more likable, including Daredevil, even Emil Blonsky, for God's sake, was a lot more, and Wong, and they were Madison. Well, maybe not Madison, really, but the majority, there are a lot of characters that were, almost everybody she worked with that were on her side, quote unquote, seemed to be more in, more well-rounded than she was. So, and I don't, so in this, I don't think the CG, the CGI stood out because she's the only one that the CGI looked shitty on. Blonsky looked fine. Banner looked fine. Maybe Scar didn't look great when we got that reveal, but he was in the background. So it's kind of it's kind of hard to know. I mean, they may, they could have half-assed his CGI just because you knew they were, he was not going to be the main focal. He was not going to be the main focal point of that scene until, you know, until what, until Banner said what, until Bruce said what he said. And then by the time you looked at him, boom, he was already off camera. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know where I'd rank this. It's certainly not near the top of my of my shows i know by the way ryan you know ryan i know i talked to ryan last night about this off off camera off mic and he said uh that he he also really liked she hulk i appreciate that you know it being different i do appreciate it being different i just to it was i i looked forward to it it was entertaining but i don't think it i don't think it means much on its own it's just like what's gonna it just it's all it's all set up for payoff which is a problem with, with phase four that it, by itself, it, it, it has no meaning. It means nothing. The only, the, mo- the most meaningful thing we got out of this arguably besides that scar reveal is the fact that we know that, that these, these Sokovia Accords were repealed, which is kind of a weird place to tell us that, but. Out of curiosity, how do you feel about the show in a vacuum outside de- wholly detached from the MCU and any implications it could mean for the MCU moving forward? Which. Which is a good question, but it's hard to answer because so many of the pieces coming into that show we are were related, like Bruce, if you know, because of the Hulk and all the stuff related to the Hulk. So if we, but if we, but if trying to answer your question, if you leave the Hulk out, if you, if I'm just looking at the elements that are just unique to the show with the characters that we've never seen before in this show, again, would it still be entertaining to a certain extent? But I don't think. But I think that. They kind of joked in the show itself, which, which is why I know where you go, I know where you were going with it when you said that it's like oh, like patting them on the back because they were you label. And I got I got I just got to say this: you've been a little troll happy in labeling people lately who just say who say things. That, again, we we both know because we've talked about this on the show. Not everybody that is unhappy with stuff and complains about stuff are trolls. But and I'm not saying you really believe that, but objectively just you, you've kind of been walking that line the last few times I, you've been thrown the tr- like, like two or three times now you've been that's the impression at least i've been getting that you're kind of like may, maybe drifting into that i don't give them that much credit for anticipating the pushback because it kind of means that they what they were writing they knew wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work and wasn't really gonna resonate with with a large percentage of the mcu audience so that i don't think give them credit you know it's like it's like if the people when David Gordon Green, if he knew anticipating pushback to Halloween ends, it's like, well, you knew the movie that you made and you knew better for better or for worse. And I liked it, but for better or for worse, you knew a lot of people weren't going to like it based on how you approached it. So that doesn't make you somehow, oh, doesn't make it special because you anticipated cr- critiques because you kind of know what your audience is. And if it's not meeting it, I think, I don't know. I, th- on one level, I want to say it was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be, but it's also, and I wasn't expecting huge ramifications, which is kind of like, it's weird that they throw that, that Sokovia Accord 
which is huge. That, Im- that implication is huge for the for the MCU and what you know how it's actually going to shake out is another story. But the fact that we finally get their an- our answer, which is ironic, because we just talked about that about regarding the MCU like on like an episode or so ago, we don't even know what the deal is with the Sokovia Accords, and now we do. They've been repealed, which kind of makes sense. Post in the post Thanos world, they would be repealed. But I enjoyed it, but it's not just. It's not just because it didn't really help much or seems to exist to prop up other projects down the road in the MCU, because almost every MCU project these days is that, which I think is a common flaw in it. Very few are meant to stand on their own. And yeah, they may have ramifications, you know, five years down the road or three movies down the road, uh, or like three sequels, second sequel, third movie in the franchise down the road. But it's meant to stand on its own by itself. Like how you judge it. It's kind of like, like guardians was kind of like meant to stand on its own, even though you logically it was part of the same universe. So you knew there'd be some uh, payoff down the road. I don't know. I thought it's not the worst of the MCU TV shows by far. I looked forward to it every week. It also helped. I think that it was short. Maybe that, maybe that could be a criticism too. That like, if, like, I think like every episode was like under 40 minutes. And if it wasn't every episode, but the first one was, I think where I was going with it actually was was more. So I think of this sort of in line, and and I want to try and make a point, but I feel it escaping me. So I want to make sure I say this right. I feel She-Hulk is kind of like Avengers: Age of Ultron or Thor: Dark World. Um, do those movies have their own inherent problems? Yes, but it wasn't until much later in the MCU that people got a sort of reverse appreciation, uh, a retroactive appreciation for those films a bit more. So like Thor's mother dying in dark world, it hits, you know, it definitely, that, that scene definitely still stands on its own with the, the lights and the music swelling and her going over the waterfall and all that stuff. And, and, you know, Odin and, and Thor mourning and all of that stuff. But it hits retroactively even harder once you see the sort of completion up to endgame of that story. Um, and then same sort of with the events of Age of Ultron. So there were some critiques of Age of Ultron um, that that almost go away once you see the rest of you know what that meant for the future of the MCU at the time you couldn't see where it was going and it didn't add anything to the universe. Whereas something like guardians, yes, it's meant to stand on its own, but we're also getting like the power stone. We're sort of seeing the seed, the other seeds we need laid for the future. We believe we're headed for. And I think that might be also be a problem of the uh, phase four in general is not just the projects themselves, which I do agree with being sort of iffy and, you know, are they really the best films uh, or or, or even of their respective franchises or anything like that? No, but each one of them also sort of falls in line with the sort of analogy I'm making with dark world and age of Ultron. They all don't really seem to be adding to any cohesive future. And I'm wondering if we'll appreciate the stuff we're not as appreciative of now once we see the fuller picture. Whether or not that's actually true doesn't really matter because you 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 enjoy these things in a vacuum. So um, if that's their plan, it doesn't seem to be shaking out very well. Um, but that's what I, w- I was thinking about of She-Hulk. It's like it's a more enjoyable dark world or 
Age of Ultron for me. I can I can see that there could be something down the road I will appreciate even more later. And it's not my favorite thing, but I weirdly enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I do get I do get what you're saying. It's just but even with the just using it as an example, I, I think because of let's say WandaVision, because of Endgame, that you do see elements you understand. I think what it does is it make it makes you realize the import, like you said, like you alluded to, the importance maybe of those projects more than we thought. But but on that flip side, I don't necessarily think it changes people's overall opinions of what those movies were. I think most people who have issues with Ultron still have issues with Ultron. I think people who still think Dark World, if it's not the worst MCU movie, it's right in the bottom. With you know, with uh, Iron Man two or three, or now the Eternals and things, and arguably the Incredible Hulk for people who don't like it, that I think it, it adds some weight to it. There's no doubt about that. But I don't necessarily think there's been a big, I don't think there's been a big renaissance as far as people going back and you know, it's like we didn't appreciate that movie when it came out, but now we do. But I do want, but I do get what you're talking about that we could go back and look at She-Hulk and the importance of it. But then again. That's part of my critique is that the only real relevance of She-Hulk at the moment could be if some of the things that are in it pay off down the road, because by itself, it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, vapid. If you are watching this show because you want the to see something contributing to the big picture of the MCU, you're going to be disappointed in it because that's not what this is. That's not what this is for. What this show is, is a slow burn commentary on Marvel projects and the reactions to them. Like the plot, for example. The main overarching conflict of this season is Jen trying to be herself while the rest of the world is demanding she be someone else while also taking control of that other persona away from her. Like all the stuff about the blood and the intelligentsia and all that stuff. That's not the plot. That is fe- that is feeding towards the direction that all of these Marvel shows go in, where they start with an idea that's interesting, but by the end, they've degenerated into a, a big CG slugfest where we just pile all of our characters on top of each other for a prolonged action set piece because it's expected to happen. And I would, I would say like, like, this show absolutely does not exist just to seed future things to 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 come down the line in the larger MCU. It actively pushes against it. Like you want to know why Daredevil showed up? Because he's also a superhero lawyer and every now and then an A-list hero shows up in a She-Hulk story. Like they're like in uh, Dan Slott's run, one of the runs that this pulls the most strongly and heavily from. She helps Spider-Man sue J. Jonah Jameson for slander, not because it's going to have some like some knock on effect down the road in like the ongoing narrative of the Spider-Man world, but because it made for a fun single issue. And it makes sense to, to tell that kind of story in a Marvel comic that is about superhuman legal dramas, which is also a a, a kind of tongue-in-cheek comedy book, too. And that's what we got with Daredevil. 
And like and like those kinds of cameos, whether we're talking about Daredevil or Wong or the Hulk or goddamn Porcupine, <laughs> these characters aren't here to do larger MCU world building stuff. They're here because this is the kind of stuff She-Hulk does and the kind of people she interacts with, regardless of what else is going on. Like you were this show was always going to have cameos of other uh, heroes and villains of various calibers because that's largely the point of having a superhuman lawyer doing legal cases in the Marvel universe. I've I read an issue where she had to get Doctor Strange to summon so- the ghost of a dead person so that they could testify against their own murderer because you can do that in in the Marvel universe. So why wouldn't you? You know. Um, it's just it's just it's just a She-Hulk thing to do, just like the fourth wall breaks, which they didn't just use to make jokes. They used to talk broadly about the audience reception that they knew this show would get regardless of its quality. Like Chad pointed out, like like, oh, man, it sure. They sure are smart. To that, this, I guess is my Chad impression. Boy, they sure are smart to to accurately foresee all the things people were going to say about them. And the sad thing is they didn't have to be that smart. They just had to look at the internet anytime any project like this is even announced. You know, all of the idiots in the intelligentsia are representative of all of the idiots in real life who talk about women, both real and fictional in that exact same way. None of the the crap the intelligentsia said in the show was made up. It's all directly quoting things that morons on the internet say whenever a project of She-Hulk gets announced. Because for them, it's not about waiting to see how it turns out before making a final judgment. The actual quality of the show has nothing to do with them being mad about it. And actually, a perfect example is one of the lines they use in the final episode when a bunch of these losers are standing in a circle talking about how right they are and one of them says that you know she hulk doesn't deserve her powers because she didn't earn it and that it isn't because she's a woman that he'd be saying the exact same thing if she were a man which we know is a complete lie because these same guys love the hulk who also got his powers from an accident and didn't earn them yeah i mean i i see that i that's a good point about the uh the reaction online and as far as how people, how people tend to react in general. So I guess that, that part, that part, I did that part's dead on. I think, I think it's a little generous to say that all the cameos exist just because, Oh, they would show up. They would, this is the kind of stuff that would happen, not just in her book, but in a lawyer. If you had a a superhero lawyer, Daredevil showing up is because they're, they're also paving the way for the, for the anticipation for Daredevil show. And Wong is showing up because people like Wong. And obviously, the I mean, when you think about it, the whole Hulk reveal of Scar was almost was like a double whammy because they kind of on one level, it seemed like they were wiping out the ending where the Hulk was going to show up. So you wouldn't have the man come and save Jen. But or you didn't have need this big reveal or whatever, you know, and then and you still had the Hulk show up and give like a big reveal like in a very kind of like a weird way to just drop that potentially really introduce that potentially important character, which clearly is being introduced as for our da- for a 
future use down the road, not for anything that's going on in that show or have to do with her being a lawyer, Jen being a superhero lawyer in all likelihood. Packing it on last minute like that feeds into the joke that they had made five minutes earlier about her say, when she made the point of like, hey, you know what? Not every Marvel show has to end the same way. We don't have to keep do- following this formula, this like uncreative, algorithmically driven formula. And the Kevin robot says, oh, but we were going to introduce and then th- we were going to set up and they like hand wave that away as just like just like a joke and a tease to the audience. But then at the end, they cram it in anyway as as just like a just like a uh yeah we did it your way but here it is anyhow because it's it's just it's a marvel thing we gotta do it well while also shutting down the other theories that were raining on well some of the theories that were raining online of like oh because he's going into space and going back to sakar that means we're going to get world war hulk or planet hulk or any of the the stuff that we're going but no, he just comes back with a kid <laughs> as opposed to not coming back at all to set up where we believe this was all heading. So not only, yes, we gave you what you were expecting anyways, but we're also giving you something you completely didn't expect because uh, <laughs> you were going somewhere completely different than uh, than where we're actually headed. Uh, I mean, God, which, this is which is a little too meta to, to be actually planned, but just ended up being funny happenstance anyway. I mean, God, this is the same show that that had a scene where the main character asks the head of Marvel, hey, when are the X-Men going to show up and then made a face at the audience? Like they're like 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 the idea that this is this show is genuinely in service of just setting up things for later is so alien to me and like that doesn't mean like i don't think that oh we're not gonna see scar again or oh so daredevil won't remember this or any of that crap i'm sure all of this will continue somewhere but for the purposes of this show the the connective tissue to the greater mcu is the thing that was actively tying the character down that she had to remove herself from by the end to get the ending that worked for her. I, I don't know. It, 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 this is tough. It's just comes, I think it comes down to different point of views because it's like, even like, even the whole show, it's like the very first episode, which is, which actually let me amend my statement. The, the first episode with, with Bruce might've been, might've been the best episode, but if not, then I say, yeah, the daredevil one episode eight. But the whole point was, besides the fact that she was kind of being an ass to Bruce and copping this attitude, like, oh, because that's where I think that's where the show kind of got into trouble right off the bat with the idea that, oh, because she's inherently a woman then she then she deals with, you know, yeah, which is blatantly obvious on one level that she deals with stuff that we don't understand as men, but not. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, she automatically always has it harder in every single circumstance than a man ever could in, in in a similar or a different kind of circumstance. And the way she was talking down to Bruce in that first episode about, oh, you know, about dealing with anger and and blah, 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 blah. I just thought I just that really I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I don't and again, I don't think that's because, oh, it's Internet trolls. It's because it's 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 almost written to I thought that it was it didn't bother me as much, but I could understand why it, it almost seemed inflammatory, you know, to some people about as like she's like talking. 
it's like, oh, she's talking now on the Hulk. And it's like, oh, she's got to be naturally better than everything than the, than the Hulk right away. And the whole point he's trying to get across to her is that kind of like with, with great power comes great responsibility. That you know, it's like you have you you basically you have this power now. You didn't want it, but you but the world basically needs people like us to look out for them. And she goes almost through the entire show bucking that and not wanting that. And then at the end, she's like, oh, yeah, he's right. Even though she, well, she, she never, and that was that was kind of the point the juxtapositions they they almost intentionally prove her wrong later on it's like because he makes he he makes the warning late you know he says like hey look once you basically hulk out in public like they will fear you and 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 you have no idea what's coming and then you kind of because i think it's not just so obviously like they do like the her eyes very wide, like, you know, the camera panned in on her face and like her breathing and kind of coming down from that high uh, when she loses it at the reception, um, the award reception or whatever. Uh, and like you can see there's the music and it's really slow and everything. But don't they also sort of replay in the background very faintly what Bruce said? I think they actually did that I, I don't think they do that might have been in like the uh previously on oh okay okay i'm i, I might have gotten that mixed up but either way you know when the the when you do a previously on sometimes because you're editing things so close together like you don't have the time to let the the scene make its point if you're doing a quick recap so yeah. you just kind of double down on what you're trying to say <laughs> so i think so if they did that during the recap it, it's still as intentional uh, as doing it in the actual scene. But like, I, I, I do like that. Like they didn't necessarily lean it. Cause I, I get what you're saying. And it's, it's not like an anti-feminist thing. It's, it's, it's more of a, um, you know, can you respect the people who, who have gone before you? This, your, your, your cousin's been hunted by the military. <laughs> he's gone through some shit. You, you don't know what he's gone through with Betty. Uh, that it's Betty, not Betsy, right? Betty, yeah. And, and realistically, Betty. she should. And again, we don't know if this is true in the MCU because they've never touched upon it. But if he has even a hint of the trauma that Bruce, that even like in the 2003 movie actually occurred in his life, let alone the stuff in the comic books. Oh, like a, with his father, yeah. Yeah, and that's a really, and of course, she knows she she would be well aware of all this too. That that's an even shittier thing to say to him. Cop copying, it's not like this, you know. It's not like the facts that what she says aren't real about how it, you know, the the double standard and things like that. And it, no one's arguing that. It's just the fact that she makes it sound like oh, she's inherently more qualified to deal with this, and she has more experience with rage and all this stuff than he does, and. That's just such a it's you know it's again it's it's judging people by groups enough as individuals and it's which like, I mean it, it does get thrown back on her later to yes to it's, it is true so, yeah something else that's important to remember is that he's not just telling her you know with great power comes great responsibility he's telling her oh by the way your life is over now better do something else which is something that she is pushing back on as hard as humanly possible and. Once they establish that she is conscious and in control in her Hulk form, like t- that is all the justification she needs to try and just get in a car and go home and go- and just like because in her mind, okay, I can I can control when I change, therefore I can just I'm fine. I can just go back to normal life. And Bruce is correctly telling her like you really can't. You need to like take some more time and 
and and work on this and just to be safe. And because she is starting, she is essentially starting at a more advanced level than he started at. He had to work 15 years to get to the point that she is on at on day one. And that's that's comics right there. That is how this character has always been. And the fact I think the fa- the fact that he presented her with a 10-inch binder of instructions for how to be a Hulk good and she didn't need to read a page of it to do the things that he expected her to do was just further justification that oh okay I got this. What's there to worry about? And yeah, she finds out later what there is to worry about. That is a good point. I uh, I definitely I, I enjoyed a lot of the comedy and uh, some of the looks into her life. I think uh, the the um, it's a weird thing to say, just but just as a DC fan, it actually <laughs> it made me more curious for that show that never was. What was it about, like insurance adjusters in the DC universe that we never got to see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be like some sort of workplace comedy sort of a thing. Uh, it made me curious of what that would have been like. Um, so I don't know. Did the pilot of that leak somewhere online? I never found it. I feel like somebody saw something, but I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know who was in it or whatever. But yeah, but the, it just kind of made me curious about stuff like that. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could talk about specific scenes or whatever, but just uh, overall, it's kind of like, did you like the show or didn't you? I I enjoyed a lot of the scenes a lot of people did, and I didn't like some of the scenes that a lot of people didn't, uh, even the people who were enjoying the show. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, the overall feeling I got from it uh, and, you know, like, would I go back and watch it again? Yeah, I would. Um, and uh, I did have fun with it. There were a couple of moments that it dragged a little for me, even within its own intended narrative. Um, and like I mentioned before, which Dan, you said you felt too, it, f- it took a while for me to just kind of get in the swing of things with it, which is interesting because it's eight, only eight episodes, nine, nine, nine. Um, so even, even with, uh, even with the nine, it's, it still felt like, oh, uh, I'm, I should be more excited by this than I am, regardless of what its intent is or what I expected of it. What what I if I even if I'm just taking on what I'm seeing on the screen at face value, it it still felt like it took a while for me to get invested in it, which felt odd for a show of its, you know, shortened longevity. I would recommend rewatching it at some point in like one or two sittings because my experience with it was not night and day, but it was significantly different and significantly better the second time through, which I don't think that's a good thing for a show. I, I'm glad that a, that repeat of viewings can let you catch stuff you missed, but it, it's, it needs to be designed to give a better experience the first time. Cause otherwise, why would you want to go through again? Um, but to that point, I, so when I rewatched all of it in a day, I started to notice stuff. And this show actually did a lot of early setup for things that paid off later that I was oblivious to watching it week to week. Like one example being that scene in a bar where Jen and Nikki are working on Blonsky's uh, Blonsky's case and this loser starts hitting on them before being shooed away. And it's like just a little throwaway moment, you know? 
couple episodes later, that same guy comes back and it's Mr. Immortal. And what we saw in the bar was him continuing the pattern of behavior that got him into legal trouble in the first place. But my favorite thing, little thing, little pattern that I noticed was with Todd, who is the primary piece of crap guy in the season. Uh, the first time that he and Jen talk to each other one on one. He asks her all these creepy and invasive questions about her powers and her vulner- vulnerabilities, and he specifically wants to know if her skin can be pierced by vibranium. Flash forward to the wedding episode, where Nikki and Mallory are on the Intelligentsia uh, website, and we, you know we learn later that was started by Todd, and they find all sorts of sorts of hate posts about Jen and. The one they focus on the most is titled, How Do We Kill She-Hulk? And then you flash forward another couple episodes to the second time Jen and Todd talk to each other one-on-one. And he's bragging about having spent a million dollars at auction buying an authentic Wakandan spear, a deadly weapon made of vibranium. All the way through the season, the surface level of Todd's character is defined by this totally unearned smugness and this constant passive aggressive belittling of people who he wants to believe he's better than. And that alone would be enough to make him a complete piece of crap. But when you take into account the behavior that they allude to without explicitly calling out, it paints a much clearer picture of someone who is openly hostile towards Jen every time they've ever met. That is, that's another good catch. That is true. I think I, I think I, I, I've got, that's all I got. Uh, I definitely do need to watch it again. And I did plan to watch it sort of all at a clip. So I, I will do that. But is there anything else about the show or a specific moment or episode that we wanted to call out? Abomination is so much more interesting now. (laughs) Oh, he's way better. And it makes, and it makes you wonder what the plan, as in, uh, forget, forget about what Marvel's plan is for him. But what is Wong's plan for him? Why, why is Wong so drawn to Blonsky to begin with? We, I mean, there's, there's still a lot of stuff about the whole Wong abomination relationship we don't get. But I do like the fact that up, at least up through now, it certainly seems that the abomination has kind of turned over a new leaf. Now, it may turn out to be total garbage, which wouldn't surprise anybody. But I do like the fact that there wasn't anything really even at the end of this that completely derailed the idea that, oh, that he was uh he was pretending to be a good to you know to have changed his ways just to uh for it to get revealed at the end that oh yeah he was he was involved in it he was involved in this plot against Jen the entire time. I don't know. I mean when I watched the part about him speaking at that that whatever it was, that conference or whatever at the end there, I kind of got the impression he didn't know all the details. Like he just accepted money to do a speaking engagement. And when he talked on stage, he was speaking in incredibly broad terms. So I don't even know if he knows what their group is. Yeah, I was I think we're supposed even if that's not accurate, I think that that's what we're supposed to think, because don't forget, he also protects her when uh, Todd's coming after her. He 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 pulls her out of the way. So anything Mm -hmm. else? I think I think we got uh, I think we got it all out of our systems. It sounds like um, <laughs> funny how early, earlier Mark mentioned how, like the ranking of the Disney Plus shows because I anticipated that and ranked them <laughs> by my standards. And for me, like this is, 
I mean, I'll, I have to wait to see if if uh, my feelings change over time because they usually do. But there aren't many shows that I can watch all of and then immediately sit down and binge for a second time in a single day. Uh, for me, this is at the top. This is the best one they've made. The only ones that come close to it are Moon Knight and Loki. I think I think Loki's still my number one of the ones I've seen. Yeah, all of them, all of them, including Loki, including WandaVision, like all of them have stuff I love, but there's always at least something in there that makes it kind of fall apart for me. And this one, I don't know, this this one, because of the nature of of the meta commentary, like even the problems with the show like where's the line between what was put in there on purpose to show the flaws in the Marvel formula, you know? Yeah. But yeah, Falcon and winter soldier are way down at the bottom and she Hulk attorney at law is at the top playing the flag. Oh, you mentioned <clears throat> what they're doing. It makes you wonder what they're going to do with uh, Emil and uh, Wong. This treatment of the abomination makes me wonder what they're going to do with the leader. Yeah, because they also have because of the way they kind of changed the the retcon the ending in their own show, you still have a different opportunity or a different use now of, of that blood that mm-hmm. was taken, which makes more sense anyway that it would have something to do with the leader anyway, not just because we still don't know that the leader wasn't involved in the intelligentsia, regardless of what Todd is claiming. It I mean, if deep. if if that connection exists or will exist at all, yeah, right. I, I mean, but but either way. I don't think we are ever going to see or hear about the Jen's blood thing ever again. Really? I think that I think that that part of the script was literally thrown away. I that is like again, that was not the plot of this show. It the 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 show was was going towards that climax when they uh, went and then it got stopped because like what are we doing? That's not what this show is about. So we're done. The p like the the ones that the 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 intelligentsia is irrelevant. The ones that broke the law went to jail. Everybody else, who cares? I guess my we'll, big, we'll find my, out about that though. Eventually, we'll see. We'll see if that. I find it hard to believe they're not going to do anything ever with that, considering the. I mean, we still have the impending arrival of the Red Hulk, which now is more pretty much confirmed now with Harrison Ford being re- replacing uh, William Hurt. It's Thunderbolt Ross, so we still need some way to get from point A to point B, so it it may not necessarily have to be her blood, may not have to be blood, period, but it's not like, but it seems... I mean, if we have the leader, it can just be his blood, you know? Yeah, but especially in the MCU, they kind of made it a very special way where the leader is because of not just how he got it, but where he got it, too. It's not just, it's not like he got injected with it or anything and just he had that open wound in his head and that's this stuff things seeped into his head but you i mean you are correct there's a lot there's lots of different ways they can do stuff but it seems like creating more hulks is something that they're they're certainly not necessarily not going to do oh yeah i'm sure they will i just i just don't want you guys to get your hopes up thinking that the whole intelligentsia blood thing that happened in this show is going to go somewhere when the finale of this show was explicitly about the fact that it's not important. Like it's, it, it literally ended by making the point 
that that the, the like literally the intelligentsia is and always has been irrelevant idiots like that are irrelevant both in the show and real life like the the show isn't for them or about them and just arrest the ones that broke the law and move on the only real question I have is, can you guys spell Madison? <laughs> Clearly they can. So, so the, I know there's a Y, but not where you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised how unannoying that character was. Like she and Wong make like a really funny pair. <laughs> but it's also small doses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, she was, she, she and Wong were, she and Wong were funny. But what? It also helps that Wong is funny, period. Yes. He is a really, really, really good character. Oh, oh, um, that makes me remember. There's one thing about this show that bug- that bugged me, and I don't know if this is a real character or not, but when they introduced a magician named Donnie Blaze, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, wait, Ghost Rider? And, and he says it again. It's like, Donnie Blaze? Donnie with a D? Not Johnny Blaze? Donnie Black, what the hell? Who is this? Why would they do this? And that was it. That was the one, the one problem I had with She-Hulk. I think because they 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 made such a point of it that like even the in universe, like it wasn't like Jennifer's commentary on it necessarily. It was it was kind of everybody else's, and it'd be one thing if it was only her because she's breaking the fourth wall and stuff. But because it's characters in universe, it makes me think like. They're doing the whole, yes, Johnny Blaze exists as a real person, and we would reference him the same way we would reference, say, like, Evil Knievel. But, like, if your name was Stevel Knievel or whatever, like, you know, someone would want to, you know, kind of maybe ride those coattails of similarity to a popular common household name. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I think that's what they're kind of doing there is like, yeah, of course, the the world knows who Johnny Blaze is, (laughs) but not necessarily because of Ghost Rider. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, guys. I'm looking at Target's website right now and they have a jumbo She-Hulk Funko Pop. That's an exclusive that I might have to pre-order. What is she doing in it? Oh, she's just sort of standing there flexing. It's one (laughs) in her like superhero suit. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I looked it up, and this is like ten inches tall. That's that's a lot. <laughs> All right, Marcus taking a lozenge or several. Or yes, several I have bags. several ready. <laughs> and uh, we're we're on to the next topic. What 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 are we talking about next? Yeah, it's amazing what a long pause can do. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think Mark might have been just just blessed by the bloodstone guys. <laughs> Oh went, to, went to that nice healthy coma in between segments and i feel great now guys uh well not really but better than it better than it was all right so i think we're going to talk about werewolf by night if you think either of us are going to take the lead on this you're wrong given your passion for this it's your favorite character ever <laughs> i don't know all my... of media <laughs> yeah i that one i can definitely say i can definitely say it's definitely not my favorite character you in all of media kids. You're gonna name your kids Jack and Russell. Two horrible names, let alone even separated. Russell is actually Russell isn't so bad. So you want more just what should I do? Just my general thoughts on this? Yeah, what do you think? This yeah. like like you have you have a well-documented love of the Werewolf by Night comics, and this is 
frankly, something that, like, who would have thought they would make this? That or in true. this way. Yeah. That yeah. is true. I will say, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought the the hype as far as what everybody was saying about it. Oh, my God, it's so good. I thought for the most part, it actually lived up to the hype. I The fact that they kept it in black and white for the majority, I thought that was a good decision, the way they did that. The, obviously, the rendering of Man-Thing was fantastic. And they made Man-Thing more interesting and in like his five minutes of screen footage than he's ever been than he's ever been in, in the history of his comic books. I just the way they kept it gothic, the way they tried to mirror the night, even even in the beginning when they did the the modified open the Marvel opening and then they had the like almost the way in the in black and white they had the Avengers drawn almost like in gothic style. You know the seven original Avengers. I thought it was I I enjoyed it. I thought overall the character they did a good enough job. I mean, you don't you know nothing about his background in this, clearly, but they did enough where they didn't do anything wrong in my eyes with the Jack. You know, I'm glad they still kept kept the Jack Russell. And I wish the I guess I wish the face makeup looked a little bit more werewolfy. I know they I know they like showing, you know, it's cool when you can recognize that it's the actor's face in the makeup. That's something different. But when you actually see the close up on his face and there wasn't that much hair really on the core of his face, the center. That disappointed me a little, but certainly the way they had him move and the way they had him fight and everything, that was that was impressive. I do think for I heard a few people say it was kind of slow to start with. And for and while the counterbalance to that would be, hey, it's you know, it's it's 50 minutes. How slow could it be? I could see if you had no vested interest in any of the characters that since it was a relatively slow burn, I could see why you were. People might be a little disappointed until start, things started to heat up, like in the maze and everything. But, but I, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good. And considering how I feel about Phase Four as a whole, I think it's one of the best things in Phase Four. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I will I will take do a order of magnitude better and say this is one of my favorite things in the entire MCU. This is right up there next to the original Iron Man. I have no complaints whatsoever. This was utterly phenomenal, top to bottom, every single aspect of production. Like, I don't have any pre-existing love for any character in this in this special. I have seen Man-Thing pop up in random Marvel comics throughout the years, couldn't care less. That one cover of that issue he's in is called Giant-Sized Man-Thing, and that's funny, I guess. <laughs> that's like that's all the baggage I brought in with me. And it just this clicked with me so hard because like this is exactly what I wanted this special to be in pretty much every way. Like, like I have already watched this three times since it came out i'm going to watch it a fourth time on halloween night and as long as it's available that's going to be a tiny percent of the total times i end up watching it this is one of the best installments of the mcu period and it is frankly is a late game reminder that yes the mcu has been worth it uh yeah i enjoyed it so there's the there's those the the comic you talked about here in my hands, I'm holding my essential man thing. 
Uh, <laughs> it's the only Marvel Essential I actually own. Uh, uh, I'm just I'm just glad you didn't say you were holding your giant size man thing. <laughs> well, Chad yeah. wouldn't lie to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <I'm, laughs> oh, no. Good one, Dan. Good. <laughs> Uh, so and that was my last appearance on the show. <laughs> so that was so that was fun to see. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Maltese Falcon, and I, man, I can watch just like anybody with their favorite movie. I, 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 I can and I do watch that movie several times a year uh, throughout the year uh, at random intervals. I just feel like watching it again. And um, I've seen a lot of old black and white movies and stuff like that, um, despite my age. And I really, I really loved the sensibility of that and how faithful they tried to be with this, uh, in that respect, like look from, from the, from the trailer, which is also, it's all, it's all like the trailer of, of black and white films made them always seem more campy than they really were. Um, but it did seem like it would be a campy sort of maybe comedy esque take on this, not a, a not as serious take on it. And in some ways, I guess you could say it, it was. But I love that, like, despite the fact that they're going for the old, the old school, the black and white, and all this stuff, um, that they didn't skimp on like special effects or cool shots and camera work and stuff. Yet somehow even those modern sensibilities paired with black and white still meshed very well with very obviously intended like 40s style acting in some spaces which you know uh not every character exhibited that but there were a couple of characters for sure who kind of exhibited that over the top uh grandiose acting style uh, that you saw back then and uh I, man i i really enjoyed it um i can't say anything in particular about how i feel it connects to the comic version or anything of that magnitude um i i too enjoyed the man thing stuff although i i, I hesitate to remember did did and, and mark you can ask uh, answer this after the fact i guess but did did the touch of man thing, I know it's like, you know, the you know, all who fear or whatever will burn at the touch of man thing or whatever. But like did it used to just like obliterate people instantly. I thought it was like, you know, you, you touched him briefly and you got like a third degree burn or something like that. I, was it always instant incineration? No, I don't think it was instant. I don't think it was instant incineration, but I think it also depends on how and where they, he grabs you. He, <laughs> he, 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 he was he, he was going. I mean. Between the headshot and the grabbing grabbing somebody smaller than him in his big hand around the waist, he kind of. But yeah, I think it's more you were gonna. It's the it's just it's interesting that the man thing grabs you. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Forget about your last appearance, Dan. We're never even gonna make it to five hundred. <laughs> Here's oh. hoping. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, but good night, no, everyone. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There's lots of there's lots of cool stuff. I definitely want to watch it again. Um, I I enjoyed the shit out of it. I'm definitely gonna watch it uh, again during Halloween. See if I can convince my sister and brother-in-law to watch it too. Um, I I would be down for for more of the, you know. And honestly, it's 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 a great way to introduce the what some people would consider ridiculous or tried and true or, you know, 
unoriginal concepts into the MCU um, because like you, you, you get the idea of like, okay, we've got Iron Man and, and Thor and, and the Guardians of the Galaxy and all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, and the next thing we're going to introduce, guys, is a werewolf. Nobody's really that excited about that. We've been there before. We've covered that ground before. So how can you get excited about a werewolf when these other, you know, unique and maybe even to you wholly new characters can uh, can really just like ravage your mind? And even like the the man thing. We have we have Swamp Thing. We have others. Uh, we have the Heap. We have other like swamp like creatures this is not new ground we're playing with here so to the idea of these two sort of not necessarily surface level intriguing in-depth characters being introduced to the mcu in this sort of off the wall weird corner zany but fun way is almost the perfect way to do it and I'm totally down to bring in more of this uh, into the MCU, even in this style. But I don't know if they'll they'll that they'll do a part two or turn this into a series or anything. You know, honestly, I was thinking about this. Even if these characters never showed up in anything ever again, I would be satisfied because I got this one incredibly good like mini movie with them and I can just enjoy this this as many times as I want and it's like like obviously like there is the bridge to the MCU and the fact that like by the end it it becomes color a la Wizard of Oz and it uh you know all throughout there's like there you're right like there are modern trappings to it like how like oh the the guards at the at the hunt are like SWAT you a SWAT unit with like cameras on their helmets and they have like like taser poles and whatever and you know Elsa Bloodstone just straight up fights like Black Widow and yet all of these like modern elements don't take you out of the the atmosphere and the setting like the period specific kind of presentation that the the whole thing hinges on. I think that's a good point. I think I thought it was interesting. I mean, we knew Man Thing was in this because he was in the trailer, but I thought it was interesting that they had him. They paired him up with Jack immediately, which also leads to a whole question about the backstory of both characters. Obviously, anybody who knows Man Thing, you can get an idea. You know why? You know, obviously he's Ted. So you would. But the question is where you know. So it raises multiple questions about how Jack even knows Ted slash man thing does he know i mean I, you would assume he would have to know i mean unless he really could understand what man thing's saying the reality actually i guess he can based on their conversations it's like did he know ted before or even what just the nature of their relationship plus it just opens the door for that whole legion of monsters thing that it that uh in a way getting man thing to be involved in anything seems to be one of the toughest when you look at some of the different incarnations of that group that getting man thing to be part of any group because of how mindless he usually was. But now you have him tied directly to werewolf by night that needless to say, you, you get a couple of other characters, you know, whether it's ghost Rider or other characters in the group, and then you can understand how they could potentially function as a team. And it's something that you could definitely see Marvel doing with uh certainly with blade nowhere to be seen in the near future. <laughs> uh-huh. Shut up. 
Uh, <laughs> but I will say what you just said sort of uh, jogs jog loose one of the points I'd forgotten, but knew I wanted to say. So thank you. Um, I really do like how we straight up abandon origins in this. We don't need to know anything about Jack. We don't need to know anything about how he became a werewolf. We don't need to know anything about man thing or how that happened. We just are in a world where this is Marvel and weird things happen. And also because we're in this sort of, you know, uh, homage space, we can just do this. We have a story to tell and we don't need to waste time with origins. Uh, let's just get into the craziness we have planned and everything else will you know, resolve itself on its own because I'm sure people will have questions after the fact about how did this happen and everything, but I don't think any, I've heard any critiques of it being okay, but who is Jack Russell? How did he become a werewolf? Like none of that is the critique. They're all just like, Oh, that was cool. I'd yeah. love to see more. And everything we need to know about the bloodstone family comes from the nature of the hunt itself. And the the way Elsa and her, I guess, stepmother clash when she shows up. Like we get all this. We do get some backstory, but it's in a natural way that is essential to what the characters are here to do. Also, Chad, did you notice that when uh, at the beginning, when uh, when uh, evil stepmom and Elsa are face to face in that entry hallway on the wall, like paint the glyphs on the wall? How depict a uh, comic accurate gore the god butcher i did not notice that i'll have to go back and look i i, I for some reason uh, well I, I say for some reason we know why for some reason i kept my uh um eyes peeled for any dark hold references mm. but i didn't see any god it's and i'm just so happy like the black and white ended up not just the black and white this whole aesthetic could have been a cheap gimmick but instead they used it in creative ways like i think like (laughs) the the action in this thing is unexpectedly violent and bloody especially for marvel and i think some of that at least comes down to the fact that you know you can get away with more when the blood is black and not red absolutely Um, and i mean it got like there are some there are like I again I've seen this three times now, and every time Elsa kills somebody, I'm like, oh god, <laughs> it's just so intense. It was so cool. But like like there's little little filmmaking touches that I just I love the fact that they do. Like when they're leading the hunters one by one into the maze for the hunt to begin, they each follow this this dude playing a flaming tuba, and he's just like like blowing it slowly as they go and you see as he leads jack in oh the only time the tuba plays is when a hunter is being escorted to the maze and then while we see jack entering the maze we hear the tuba blow one more time cut to the next hunter having just entered the maze and then we hear it play one more time cut to the next hunter now in the maze, and like it just goes through that five times until everybody has been established to be in the maze and we just like abridged like five minutes of story in a way that like used this one key sound and one visual to like just to just ah it's it's just such it's so like 
it's so like well done and efficient and it's just i love it no it, it was it i can't it was a pleasant surprise from the perspective that so many people liked it i obviously was looking forward to it i'm glad that their first true foray into horror for the most part was a home run yeah you mentioned the the you mentioned the uh the tuba yeah for sure the music in this was really good uh it it played with the theme but that that tuba that horn blast is so <sighs> bassy i guess I, I don't know what the word is for that but like it's just so deep and just really loud, but it also goes with the soundtrack and it adds to the sense of like uh, horror, or anxiety or thriller, like whatever it is you're supposed to be feeling at that moment with just one simple note on one simple instrument just played super hard. <laughs> and uh, it was it was definitely like uh, a real trigger to kind of. um really feel the intensity of that moment. I think that really lends to um, just the style that they were going for, but taking advantage of what modern sensibilities they could without compromising their goal in terms of tone and everything. And I think also cool. It's very clever sort of the way they did this. Like they had to have known, even especially when they were creating the trailer for this, which let's face it, it did seem like it was making it more campy than it really was supposed to be. Um, but that being said, I feel like Marvel had to have known when they put that trailer out that people would compare it or think about what sort of uh, playing with the trope they would do with this as they did with WandaVision uh, in those moments where it's straight up aping certain generations of TV shows and it's just straight up leaning into that skid. Uh and it's almost like they did this on the, at least in terms of the trailer and stuff, they sort of played with our expectations there on purpose, which kind of made it more fun. Yeah. I kind of feel like all you need to know about this production can be summed up by that first, like three or four second long shot where we see the werewolf straight on for the first time where he's like, his arms are kind of like, raised up to like halfway up the shoulder and he's like creeping towards the camera while looking right at us his eyes are glowing but just as tiny specks of white light and as he's like slowly emerging from shadow it's like it's it's so it's such a like like obviously not everybody's going to like the werewolf design as much as i do but like it's such a a oh they're making a universal monster movie. This is that. Per- got it. Let's go. Absolutely. Dan. That makes, it was a, it was a good experiment. All the results indicate that was a, it was a well thought out plan for this one. At least can't say that for a lot of phase four. Definitely can say that for this. No, for sure. Give me more though. Yeah. Build that dark universe. I've heard so much about. Yeah. If universal couldn't do it, Marvel will. <laughs> the irony. Hmm. All right. What's next? Well, if you don't mind, since we're done talking about the Marvel stuff, I'd like to make my closing argument. <clears throat> Go ahead. <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe started out as a realization of the creativity that made Marvel in all of its forms successful in the first place. But as its popularity grew, things like visual style, sense of humor, and even the kinds of stories being told were flattened out and 
uh, standardized in order to create a simple, repeatable winning formula to the point that by the time we reached phase four, the only bit of innovation left was the choice of which new characters to introduce. Then it, then along came She-Hulk, a show that outright rejected the formula that's made Marvel stale. A slice-of-life workplace comedy that included all of the usual tropes in the background for the sole purpose of calling attention to them and then throwing them away in favor of an ending that better served the show's actual storyline. It was followed by Werewolf by Night, a feature solely committed to being a modern take on classic Universal monster movies. Not only was this something wholly original to the MCU, but the drive to take obscure characters nobody's ever heard of and make them the center of a lovingly executed original production, it harkens back to the spark that got everyone so excited about the MCU in the first place. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and Werewolf by Night are not perfect, and they are not for everyone. But what they are is a sign that the MCU can get back what it lost and return to a time when creativity and innovation take priority over formula and expectation. I'm Kevin Feige, and I approve this message. <laughs> we can only hope, Dan. Yes. Yes, we can. And, and now that we said that, let's talk more Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look to the future. Dan, you ignorant slut. Uh, so here's a simple question first. Which which one of the two trailers did you like best? The, the Guardians Halloween special? I mean, Christmas special, excuse me, or Ant-Man? Guardians. Yeah, probably Guardians. I agree. Which is weird because I'm incredibly tired of the sense of humor in the Guardians movie <laughs> movies. Overall, I think so, too. But and and let's be honest, Peter Quill's not a very likable character, more like at least 60 percent of the time. I think to me, the reason it was it was a nice tone and you can see why they pumped it out so fast because it doesn't look like they're doing as many special effects with that. A lot of it's going to be less following the pattern of these specials where they can turn them around quicker because they're not using as much uh, CGI stuff as they normally do. But in a way, I think the reason why I like this better was because, honestly, I didn't really like the Ant-Man trailer (laughs) and I'm looking forward to that movie. I'm looking forward to it. I like the beginning. Because the beginning with Scott being in the opposite position where everybody knows who he is and everybody's happy to see him, which we get an explanation for in the movie, which kind of it gives us an explanation for one of these questions that's been hovering since the end of the beginning. Let's say the end of phase three entering phase four, which how does everybody know what happened during endgame? The answer is going to be Scott, supposedly. That's how we know. That's how we all know. You know, what we forgot to bring up during the Miss Marvel episode is that in that show, we find out that Ant-Man has a podcast. Yes. So, you know, like pretty much all of it is just him talking about how he how he stepped on Thanos or whatever. And and supposedly Ant-Man wrote a book, too. Supposedly he wrote a book. And the book is the main reason why everybody I mean, it hasn't been I don't know if that's been confirmed in any other phase four thing yet. But I know that's what supposedly is why he where why in why why he is where he is uh, when this movie begins, which, of course, does not necessarily make him as much of a lovable Scott Lang as we're used to either. But I like that part of the trailer. I have no idea. And I hope we get an explanation in the movie why the hell Cassie would ever be doing anything like this and doing it on her own to begin with. I don't know. To me, this trailer was a complete with this in a way. 
this was the worst part of Marvel, which is this is a, a sub a style over substance. They want us to be awed by how awesome the quantum realm looks. And oh, look, uh, Kang's got this attack of the clones like army. And we hear Jonathan Majors talk a couple of times. And we see a Kang kind of in his uniform from a distance once. And even read the synopsis, the synopsis they put out for this movie. It's the worst. It's the most bland, completely, I can't say nonsensical, but it's the most non-informative synopsis I think they've ever put out. All three of us could have written that same synopsis without seeing any footage from the movie, just by based on what we already knew was happening in this movie. It's horrible. So the trailer's okay, but for for an individual franchise, Ant-Man, which has not been a box office hit so far, it has struggled. It is way, you know, this is a movie where, based on where the MCU is alone, this movie should make over $100 million in its opening weekend, despite what the other two did. But so, you, but either way, you look at the track record of this franchise, you should be promoting the shit out of this and the importance of this movie and why it's beginning phase five. And you didn't get anything in this trailer. And I, I, know, I know part, I know Chad's probably going to say it's a teaser trailer. Well, Creed, Creed three was a teaser trailer too, technically. And, and you know, and you already know what, you know, the gist of what's going to be going on in Creed three and where the conflict comes from. And I'm a person who was in the target audience for that movie that didn't care about it, but that trailer goes, Oh yeah, now I'm in, now I'm a lot more interested in seeing it than I was before the trailer. And I see the Ant-Man trailer. And for me, this is the movie I'm naturally inclined to see, but the trailer did make me more pumped for it. And I think if I was neutral on this, like I'm kind of am on Black Panther, I don't think this would have moved the, moved the meter at all on this. And that's just that's was my first impression. Yeah, the 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 uh, quantum mania thing. I I've said before I've on on the sliding scale I'm actually more interested in Blade than anything and. Yay, all the problems that have come with, with that film. Uh, but Quantum Mania was, you know, like third or fourth or something to that effect. And part of the reason is like there's a lot of curiosity going into it, uh, which in, in terms of like, you know, the, the next Avengers movie where things in the MCU are going. But I realized I don't care too much about it because I don't feel threatened by Kang yet. Um, I don't feel the menace of that villain. Uh, in in any way yet and i i get that maybe part of this the goal of this movie is to to do that especially for the general movie going audience who won't have seen much of kim like a la the loki uh show i don't know what the percentages of people who normally watch mcu movies who actually saw the the tv shows on disney plus i don't know what those numbers are um but i i have to imagine there's a large portion of uh, Marvel fans who maybe have only seen the movies and not the shows. Um, so this will be their sort of first introduction to him. I know a little bit of him from the comics, but he, he doesn't cut the same cloth as Thanos. And that's either good or bad, depending on how you can keep up the sense of menace and everything in a villain, regardless of whether they're, a brainy type like Lex uh, or, you know, they're, you know, superimposing. I don't know why I jumped over to DC, DC there for a minute, but like, yeah, uh, I, uh, I didn't feel much uh, from this trailer. It didn't do anything to heighten my curiosity of where we're going with the MCU. 
nor did it do anything to make me feel any more threatened by the presence of Kang. So I, my needle didn't move as a result of this trailer, but it did for the, the guardians Christmas special. So, you know, it's funny. We talked last time about the problem with escalation and Thanos was a big bad. That was a threat to the whole universe. Now here's Kang, who is a big bad, who's going to be a threat to the whole multiverse. And, you know, I agree. Like all we have to go on with Kang is, the little bits we got from Loki season one, which is honestly probably why they're putting him in this movie so that they can hopefully ratchet up the threat level with him. Plus Um, there's a different version of the character too. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, I mean, I, as far as the trailer goes, like, I don't know. You can't show me werewolf by night and then expect me to be impressed by a movie that looks like it's going to be nothing, but a bunch of actors acting in front of a green screen. Like that's that is the worst Marvel habit that I desperately hope they they can break sooner rather than later. But it's 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 I'm in a strange place where like I am ambivalent about the Ant-Man trailer, but I'm anxious to see the Ant-Man movie because I really like the Ant-Man movies. and I think they are this like the second best film franchise within the MCU. The Guardians had a much better trailer, but. I've soured on the Guardians movies, but I think a lot of my positive feelings about the the Guardians holiday special comes from the fact that I I, I saw this trailer for this spe- Marvel special after my third viewing of the previous Marvel special, which was absolutely phenomenal so like there's a lot they've built up a lot of goodwill with their first special that and i am kind of riding that wave into their second one and hoping it can live up to it because if it's just hey we got the guardians back together and they're gonna be the same goofballs with the same kinds of jokes as in those movies then i i i I take solace in the fact they'll probably be less than an hour yeah i mean i i think you in a way, I think Dan hit it right on the head. The reality is that I am much more interested. I am much more interested in the Ant-Man project. But the trailer, I thought, was under underwhelming. And I'm not I wasn't that I'm not ever that interested in the Guardian stuff. But because they put together a good trailer, because obviously it's supposed to set it's supposed to be a little connective tissue from where we saw the Guardians last in four. And before we see them again, that's this spring, right, May? Right, they're May. Uh, I don't know what the release schedule. I think it's May. I, th- I think Ant Man is in February. February. Yeah, but Guardians. But Guardians is. I think Guardians is May. I think Guardians is. Oh is God, May. I didn't, I didn't even remember they had a movie coming up. Yeah. So the connected. I think the they there's a little bit of interest, you know, because Gunn's directing it. It's gonna make. It's gonna. It's gonna be effective. So I just. I. I guess I'm more puzzled, and of course. Now, we all know people of different tastes, and that's fine. But sometimes it is like, and I hate to describe it this way, but we know there's a certain percentage of fans of every brand, every genre, which are kind of, for lack of a better term, like sycophants, that or you could give a blank slate with like like three words of dial of voiceover, and it's like, oh, my God, that was fantastic. And it's like, but it's like preaching to the choir. If you're already 100%, some people are just so pro-Marvel, they can throw out, those are the people that were that were – making it sound like the, either one of the two Eternals trailers was just fantastic when no, 
the majority of people said, no, they're not. That hearing people going, oh my God, this looks fa-. It's like, yeah, if you want to buy into the special effects, but it just seems like, you know, this movie is supposed to be, it, and it may very well be, but it's supposed to be really important. And it's supposed to not just set the stake, the stakes for what's going on and introduce Kang, obviously, but it's supposed to have some big ramifications. And that trailer just doesn't, it gives you nothing. And, you know, if this, honestly, if this was a, if this was a trailer they released like four months ago for this, I probably would let it, let it slide. You know, this movie's like out in four months. It's out in February that this is not a good, a good teaser trailer. Not really, because it doesn't give you much of anything. I mean, if you didn't know uh, Jonathan Majors was playing Kang, then yeah, it might be cool. Or I don't know. It's just I'm very, very disappointed in this trailer. And in a way, it's it's, the timing of this is odd, too. It's like, why release it now? I mean, why not just release it in two weeks or whatever when Black Panther comes out? I don't even understand why they released it now. It's, it's, It's kind of puzzling to me. But but I agree, maybe it's just by virtue of uh, addition by subtraction. It's the fact that this trailer just didn't resonate and disappointed me. That doesn't affect my enthusiasm for the project at all, but I'm just disappointed in the marketing. But I think Guardians was a better trailer for a product I don't I don't care as much about, but it accomplished what it needed to do. It made me more interested in that project, which is a fir- which what which is what a first trailer is supposed to do. If you know about it and you're interested, it reinforces your interest or pumps you up more. If you don't know about it or if you did, but you didn't have any interest and now makes you interested. I don't see how that Ant-Man trailer does much of does much of anything, especially when you move beyond the first five minutes. And oh, the Elton John soundtrack, which is cute. But I don't know. And I'm seeing him this weekend. Nice. Well, as as we record this, uh, this coming weekend. Sorry, oh, I'm I, I'm very excited. I'm going to be seeing Elton John in concert. Nice. <laughs> say hi. Say hi for us. I'm <laughs> your giant size man thing, Chad. Uh, uh, no, I it I I just I just preferred that that Christmas special trailer. Um, there was there was just a lot of fun to it. And it wasn't something I was expecting to get. Uh, also, I am a little, I'm definitely too early. I can fully admit that, but I'm a little already getting into Christmas mode. Um, so like, I'm, I'm looking forward to the holidays. So um, maybe because I have two weeks off in December. So I'm just anxious for that to come. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, there, the, like I said, the, the, the Quantumania trailer just, failed to move the dial for me in any significant or even minute way. So it, it may as well not have come out. <laughs> That's I think you summed it up perfectly. It was for the amount of time we've waited for this trailer. It's like, it's very much like when the Eternals came out. I mean, not that that was a project I cared about in, in the very least at the very least in, in the smallest amount possible. I cared about that project when it was announced, but they waited so long to give us the first trailer and it was boring as hell. And the second, and they only gave us two trailers, and the second one wasn't much better. And I, I sure, I completely expect the second trailer for Ant Man to be much better, and to give you a lot more idea of what's at stake and what's going on in this movie. But that being said, you know, you never get the second chance to make a first impression, and this, this was not a game changing trailer to try to move Ant Man up into the upper echelon of solo 
Marvel hero franchises. No, but I don't think it'll do any harm either. You know, it was just sort of there. It was literally just a reminder that this movie is going to happen and tell you when it's going to happen. So like, like, yeah, like I agree with what you're saying. Like it, it was not impressive, but I've, I'm already, I've already been sold on this franchise until they make a bad one. And maybe that'll be this one. I don't know, but you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what somebody who who hasn't been all in on Ant-Man yet would think of this. That is an interesting question because, I mean, if you really have, I mean, I mean, if you don't, if you haven't liked either of the first two movies or you think they're okay, again, because I'm not in that group, I'm as much as I tr- I'm, think I'm capable of being, a, a, I always try to be objective and try to look at things from another perspective. Maybe I, in this level, I can't, but I have a hard time imagining this trailer alone. It's going to all of a sudden be a you're going to be a convert after seeing this trailer. If you didn't like the first two, I Unless, mean, if anything, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if anything, the fact that Kang is in it is going to make it essential viewing for people who might not have otherwise cared about Ant-Man because like, oh, if 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 Kang is where we're going, then this is his first well, quote unquote, his first notable appearance in the MCU leading up to whatever, like Secret Wars or whatever we're doing. I think it's good. Kang Dynasty. Yeah, Kang Dynasty first. first. But yeah, yeah, but you're right. But I think they should have. Pl- I think they would have been be- would have been better suited for them to put some of that narrative in the trailer. Because, again, if you're not following what's going on, if you're the if you're the not died in the wall Marvel fan. Yeah, maybe, you know, who. If you watch Loki, yeah, you'd know who, give or take, who Jonathan Majors is playing. If you haven't watched Loki, you have no clue who he is. Yeah, or just give a different tone to the trailer. Like, part of me wonders if this is one of those trailers where they're like, okay, here's all the effect shots we have finished so far. Just put them, just stitch them together and we'll release a trailer. Yeah, I doubt it because I think this movie's been done for a while. I mean, they say might be tweaking it, but I think this movie's been done for, this movie's been done, I think, for quite some time. In other news, uh, Wakanda Forever is close to coming out, and Woo-hoo. I think I think this week uh, Rihanna's single for that is supposed to drop as well. For those of you who are interested in the soundtrack, which by the way, I'm almost <laughs> speaking to Guardians of the Galaxy excitement. I'm almost more curious, uh, or almost as equally curious for the soundtrack of Guardians Three as I am to whatever's in the actual movie. <laughs> What are the odds that the Guardians holiday special ends with them dancing to Footloose? The odds are probably better than you would normally think. I mean, they're kidnapping Kevin Bacon. Spoiler alert. They they have to. But they, <laughs> do, do you think they do their own Christmas number, too? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, come on. No, no, no. Like They, they will either look. They're either just going to straight up do Footloose. Or they're going to do some like bullshit twelve days of Christmas, but with like weird, weird like Guardians words in it. I don't know. The thing I'm most excited for, Chad, though, is that apparently you're going to to sing your own cover of this Rihanna song for us right now. No, live. No, live on tape. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. I, I just saw that, so I thought I'd, I'd mention it for the people who are excited about the soundtrack, which I've actually heard because. Actually, I the the soundtrack for the first Black Panther movie I actually really enjoyed too. So I when I heard that they were going so far as to get you know somebody with the the name 
the name Cachet as Rihanna uh, to do a song. That's that's pretty cool. Maybe she's trying to get first dibs on recasting. Assuring if that happens. Take me, <laughs> take me. All right. Um, also, for the people playing along at home, yes, we're aware of the James Gunn news. We'll talk. We'll talk about that <laughs> at another time. <laughs> uh, what's What's next on the docket, though? Go ahead, Dan. Oh, uh, well, there was a DC Halloween special, and it has Green Lantern in it. Some Green Lanterns. Yes, Chad. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, I think it's a nine pager. Um, and it is, uh, written by Jeremy Hahn, uh, art and color by Juan Doe. Uh, and the letters is and world design. It's basically, it takes place about 400, I don't know, 400 something years in the future. Uh, and it says, uh, it, it features two future lanterns, uh, Car Vaughn who dual wields red and green and is apparently a legendary lantern for this, as well as Jan, who is uh, partnered with him for some sort of punishment, her probation for, uh, we don't, we don't get much information on that, but they basically come across this sort of weird cosmic tower in space while they're patrolling. uh, And it come, they come across this uh, sort of summoning ritual and it is a kind of like creature from beyond, you know, tentacles, scary mouth, teeth, whole thing. We have to shut down the portal before this creature can get through here. Uh, and to do that, uh, Carvon sacrifices himself by uh, allowing his rage to take over. Um, and uh, af- as um, Jan leaves the scene, um, there are six additional uh, ig- energy signatures which match this tower that they had just found and that Carvon sacrificed his life for. And she says, we have to war- I have to war the- warn the core. You didn't die in vain. We will stop them. And it says end, but it definitely leaves on a, on a cliffhanger. Yeah, everything about this story feels like it's like a prologue to a longer story. And I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just they didn't write it good, <laughs> but I'd like, be down. I, I enjoyed both writing and art on this. Yeah, same. And, and this like was, this is very straightforward, too, in some ways. I mean, I know it's in a Halloween special and it's supposed to evoke some sort of different feeling than you would an ongoing. But I would easily see this as an opening sort of scene or whatever in a new Green Lantern series. Yeah, and it it takes place in the year 2447, which I like to think is a direct response to our excellent episode about future lanterns. Um, <laughs> clearly, DC heard our call, our call to action. But yeah, it's it's really short, so the character building is is pretty basic. You know, you know, we get like a a line of dialogue in here about how Jan has had trouble keeping her temper and how it's like it's it's interfered with her ability to do her duties so they assign her to work with the only green lantern they have i guess who who is so good at handling his anger that he can use a red lantern ring at the same time as a green lantern ring and be fully lucid and yeah it's 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 almost a shame that so much of this story was spent fighting because i kind of just want to know more about these characters and their time period and this massive 
like Dead Space esque like Eldritch Horror spire they found, which kind of looks like a bunch of like like fossilized skeletons like that have been like twisted around each other. It also reminds me of the Tower of Fate. And it kind of looks like that uh that uh Mark, what's that what's that thing in the original Star Trek that looks kinda like this, but it's blue oh, or something, and it tried yeah. to swallow the Enterprise? Yeah, I'm not gonna pull that out since my my Star Trek fandom is so so low down the list compared to Star Wars. But I don't but you are correct. It did it actually did remind me of that. It, and I think it rem- it's a few other things I think it it reminded me of. So that's so on one level, the design of that was because it wasn't overly original, that didn't that didn't do as much for me. I thought the I did think the art overall in this was good. It's I mean, honestly, it's it's a the story's okay. I mean, would I be interested in seeing more of it? But it it's like it's literally in media reyes. It's like you're dropped in the middle, you have no you really have no you get a little bit of background on these characters, but not I don't know if it's enough to really care uh about them as individuals. And then it ends on a real cliffhanger and just because it's dealing with some kind of alien threat, which which we, which we don't even know what it really does, right? Yeah, it's yeah. just like vague cosmic yeah. horror. Yeah, but so but, but but also magical, and 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 I mean, I think we've all kind of wanted to see what 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 the magic side uh, of of Green Lantern Corps involvement is uh, in some capacity or another. I mean, because the Guardians themselves, they created the Starheart, right? They gathered up magic. So I've, I think it's always been a, an idea sitting in the back of my head that like it'd be cool if, I mean, if, if they patrol all of space, then surely we have some situations where we're not just dealing with natural or political threats right like occasionally magic jumps into the mix right (laughs) yeah and also is carvon even really dead or did he just get shoved back through the portal with that thing when uh when jan destroyed it i never assumed he was dead i know that they're they're writing it as they're writing it because they want you to believe that that's how you're supposed to take it from and i can be completely wrong i just i thought that oh there's no way he's really dead he's just being sucked in but yeah, I'm inter- I'm interested in this as as I said as a prologue and I would love to I would love to get to know these characters more and see what like I I don't even I don't have any reference in front of me but I don't know if 24 what did I say 2447 yeah I don't know if 2447 is even close to a time period that we've seen explored before in DC or in with Lanterns specifically hmm. did you guys read any of the other well i know i know dan probably did mark did you read any of the other stories in the issue i did not read any of them i i i skimmed through some of them most i skimmed through to see what was there so i probably will go back and read some but wanted to get a gist of what you know what other character that's why in a way it was weird too it's like that you have these most of these other stories, if not all of them, with, with established characters, and you just pick up literally like throwing something against the wall and coming up with. It just seems like it's a weird parameter to try to to do this, uh, which probably leads credence to the, again to the idea that this is not going to be a one off, that this is going to be continued, even if it's not continued until next year's Halloween special. <laughs> that the reality is, it seems it does it is just odd. But no, I have not yet re- read any of these uh, the other stories in the. 
yeah, I'm not going to dig dig into specifics, but I did. I, I really like the Phantom Stranger one. I think it's really cool that they got Paul Levitz to write it because it really like Phantom Stranger always has a really, especially classic Phantom Stranger, always has a really certain feel to to his um, the cadence of his voice and the things he chooses to say and not and to not say. So having somebody like Paul Levitz uh, with that touchstone to DC's past and that experience with DC's past do that, that made me really enjoy that story uh, from a dialogue and just writing perspective. The Super Sons one was written by Sholly Fish, who people, if you're a DC fan, you should you should be aware. I understand you may not buy the kids' books, but anything Sholly Fish touches is golden, a.k.a. Scooby-Doo team-up. Um, which had some great issues involving DC characters. Um, and he gets to tackle the Super Sons. So, like, how much more perfect of a combination is that? The Swamp Thing thing was really interesting uh, and strange. Um, I, the fact that we got a JSA story was crazy, an Etrigan story. Uh, Damien and Dead Man at the very end, that was great, uh, especially because Kelly Jones got to do the art. And Kelly, uh, while I like Tim Seeley as a writer, Kelly Jones used to draw Dead Man for a little while. Um, so it's a uh, it's a uh, really at least here and there. So it's really cool that he got to um, play around with that. I'm not necessarily a big fan of Kelly Jones's Dead Man design. It's a little more freaky than I want Dead Man to be. Um, but uh, I know he really likes that character. So. Yeah, it was a really solid package overall. Like, the only regret I have with it, honestly, is that that variant cover of Dead Man stalking Harley through a, a mall after hours wasn't a story in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you uh, get the variant? Because I have it right in front of me. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, man. They should make a poster out of that. My God. Uh, I love the Raul Fernandez art on the Phantom Stranger story. Mm-hmm. It's like, especially once when like characters are getting scared by stuff, like the way they emote is just so, so good. It's like, like exaggerated and cartoony just enough. I think I thought it was funny how so much of this story is Phantom Stranger just intentionally scaring the shit out of young children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was interesting. The uh, I don't know what Paul Levitz was trying to say there other than maybe drawing a corollary between the two. But it was interesting that that story, uh, I'm sure, Mark, you don't care about spoilers. So uh, the way that story ended at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and how the Phantom Stranger was greeting him as a friend. That was that was really strange to me. Maybe it was feeding into the whole thing of like, hey, what's the Phantom Stranger's origin? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure at this point if we're keeping the whole Judas Iscariot thing or not. I don't know. Well, if remember, Chad, all continuity counts, so all of his origin stories are at play. I think so, Phantom Stranger is immune to having multiple versions of himself. Fine, then he's the unknown soldier. Deal with it. <laughs> he drives the haunted tank, and it's amazing. <laughs> I can't, I can't say that for sure, obviously, but like, I feel like Phantom Stranger is one of those DC ethereal weird unexplainable cosmic characters that there's only one of him not a bunch of him throughout the multiverse i don't know um but i really enjoyed this and 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 that's saying something at least for me i'm not saying that just because i enjoyed this uh 
you too should go pick up a copy. But I rarely give a shit about holiday specials, regardless of the holiday. Um, but this is cool. I I I I liked most every story in this book. So um, I, I know it's a thicker book and thus more expensive. But if you guys can afford it. Uh, and you're at least intrigued by the cast of characters in it, uh, pick it up. I thought it was awesome. Also, if you're one of those people that wants there to be some sort of Tales of the Core anthology book, it would help to send the message that, hey, if they put out anthology books, people will buy them. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was freaking cool. Uh, yeah. Well worth the purchase. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, I forgot to get the regular cover from my LCS. Um, so, uh, I just have the variant, which is great. I really, really, really wanted the variant, but I also, I, I'm going to buy this again, guys, uh, for, for the regular cover that has Phantom Stranger and Dead Man and Swamp Thing on it, because that also is a cool ass cover. Um, but I have no, it, like, it, it'd be one thing if I had the draw to get it because of the variant and the interior stories sucked and i know i have to spend that much money again just to get the variant but i really like i don't mind doing owning this twice and paying for it twice um because it's pretty freaking cool i i'm really glad i picked this up all right anybody have anything else no i think that's it i mean (laughs) i'm i made my closing argument and then we ended immediately so that's uh that's all there is (laughs) Well, thank you, uh, people at home, for listening to our Double Creature feature. <laughs> I had fun with that album, Mark. <laughs> You're done, good, uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, if people want to reach out to you, uh, where do they find your stuff? Uh, go over to YouTube and search Mosaic Comics. That's where you'll find me. If, uh, if you want to hear something relevant to the things we talked about today, I've got a video all about the the four issue arc that made She-Hulk into one of my favorite Marvel characters is a title She-Hulk struggling to be who you are and keeping with the Halloween theme. Where is it? I forgot the name of it. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, last year, actually it was, it was an older one, but last year for Halloween, I took a look at another DC horror anthology called the secret of sinister house, which had a Simon and Jessica story in it, which Honestly, is is one of my favorite little short horror stories involving Green Lantern in recent memory. Like outside of that one issue of Green Lantern Corps Quarterly, that we don't get enough like short form horror with Green Lantern characters. And Secrets of, of Sinister House had one. Uh, that video is titled Jessica Cruz and the Secrets of Sinister House. And while you're there. You know, I just I talk about things and topics and characters from all over Green Lantern lore and history. So hopefully there will be something there that you enjoy. And, you know, if you feel like subscribing or sharing or telling your friends, that would be great, too. But let's just have fun with Green Lantern together. As Mosaic Comics. And go watch his hour plus long feedback. Hour 14 minutes. If you have questions about Green Lantern stuff or comics in general, just ask them and I'll I'll clearly make a video about it. <laughs> uh, even Chad. I even answered Chad's questions. You know the bar is low. I will take your question. And Chad's question was, am I really getting fired in episode 500? <laughs> yes, Chad. For the last time. Yes. 
But We're speaking of fired from the show, you're being evicted from your apartment. I don't know how much clearer we well, can we don't get. Have to, well, we don't want to evict him. We don't really have that power. We can only evict him from the show. <laughs> we have power of attorney over you. It's a whole process <laughs> that we did not do for nothing. So pack up. You're you're out of here. <laughs> but speaking of our episode numbers, we too covered Secrets of Sinister House over in episode 379. Yeah, that talk about a creature double feature right there. All right. Uh, well, it was a double feature because we also covered DC House of Horror in the same episode. So, uh, Mark, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast, people. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, so please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. Good night, everybody. Happy Halloween. This goes up before Halloween, right? This goes up on Halloween, right? It should be released on Halloween, so go ahead and do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Perfect. (laughs) 